So anyway, a couple weeks ago, we made this statement, um, sort of a, a broad definition of the church, which was this. The church is a community of people who follow the teachings of Jesus, who was sent by God to explain God and to make a way to God. And we said, if that's what the church really is, then, then why is there so much resistance to the church? And why do we as sometimes feel embarrassed to admit we're a part of the church? And we talked about some of the reasons last week, and aside from those extreme examples of um, you know, a group of people who call themselves a church who do nothing but spew hate, and aside from those times when um, a prominent church leader um, gets dragged through the media with a sex or money scandal, um, one of the primary reasons that people resist church is because old things got added back in, and that's been going on since the church began. See, the old way of relating to God was based on the temple model. And every world religion is based on the temple model. And in the temple model, you have sacred places, which is where the adherents of that religion believe their God resides. And in the sacred places, there are sacred texts and the sacred texts are the rules and regulations that the adherents of the religion has to follow. And then there are, most all the time, sacred men who have to interpret the sacred texts because they're so complicated. And so you've got these sacred men interpreting the sacred texts for the sincere followers. And for any of us to get to God, we had to follow this temple model in in any form of religion, and that's and, and in the Old Testament, right? Um, we said um, last week that there's a lot of scary things about the temple model, um, but one of them is that the, the sacred men have a tremendous amount of authority and power. And throughout history, that authority and power has been abused in some very ugly ways, Right? When, when anybody can tell the sincere, when someone can tell the sincere followers and say, you know what would really please God? God would be so pleased with you if you strapped on a suicide vest and killed a bunch of people who don't believe like we do. Or God would be so pleased with you if you went to the funeral of a fallen soldier holding up signs saying that God killed him. And so you have these sincere followers who believe these sincere men and go off and do horrible things thinking they're pleasing their God. Sacred men have a lot of power in this model. I mean, anyone who gets to say who goes to hell and who doesn't can manipulate people to do some pretty awful things. And again, all world religions are based on this model. Even Judaism in the Old Testament was based on this model. That's why Jesus always had really harsh words for the Pharisees, because they were the sacred men abusing their power to manipulate the sincere followers. Right? Now, the reason this model is obsolete is because Jesus came along and he destroyed the temple model. Right? He didn't just upgrade it. He completely destroyed it. 
And, and, and listen, for you to properly understand Christianity, for you to properly understand your relationship with God, you have to understand that when Jesus was on the earth, he systematically destroyed the temple model. He's, a, he's like, there's no more sacred places anymore. God is going, re, it, going to live in your heart through the person of the Holy Spirit. You now are the temple of God. He eliminated the need for complicated sacred texts that need to be explained. In one of Jesus' first teachings, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I have not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And this was a really bold statement because in it, Jesus is saying, the entire Old Testament all points to me. It all points back to me. It's a great big huge sign that points to me. And so no longer do you have to worry about this really complicated text that needs to be interpreted, interpreted for you because I'm going to simplify it. The, the entirety of the Old Testament, all the, write, all the laws, all 613 laws, all the writings of the prophets can be summed up in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But now I'm giving you a, a new command. Love each other as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know you're my disciples. So Jesus is like, hey, church, the only thing that you are to be known for is that you love people with the same love I've loved you with. Don't be known by your church attendance. Don't be known by how much you read your Bible or pray. Those things are great and absolutely necessary to help you grow to become a more loving person. But don't be known for those things. And don't be known for, for what cultural issues you support and what cultural issues you're against. The only thing that you are to be known for is for loving people the way I have loved you. And then he eliminated the need for sacred men, which is why the Pharisees were so angry with him and wanted to kill him because he was threatening their position, right? He says, you don't need anyone to tell you what is true anymore. He said that in John 14. He says, you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. He's not saying you didn't need teachers. He says, you don't need teachers to tell you what's true. Because, and why? Because you now have the Holy Spirit in you, and one of his roles is to bear witness with your spirit if something is true or not, right? You have that knowing. When you hear something, if it's right or wrong, right? And that's the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came and completely destroyed the temple model so that he could establish the new covenant, which, or the Jesus model. And in the Jesus model, the only way that we get to God is through him. Jesus came and destroyed the temple model relating to God, and now Jesus is the only way to God. He made the way. He paid the price. He's, he's the one who put us in right standing with God. And all we have to do to receive all that is simply believe in him, to place our trust in him. 
All right, so that's the difference between the temple model and the Jesus model, the, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And then we looked at, last week, a, a historical example of one church in the, in the city of Galatia uh, where people were trying to add some of the old temple model back in to the new, right? Um, and so this, you know, the church is, is new. It's growing like crazy. Paul is out in Asia and all over the Mediterranean planting new churches, and one of the churches he planted was in a place called Galatia. Um, but there was this other group of people coming behind Paul, teaching that um, in order for them to really follow Jesus, they got to convert to Judaism. These people were called Judaizers, and these, were, these are people who, um, they were Jewish Christians who believed that the Gentiles just had to convert to Judaism. And I don't know what, if you know, they were jealous that because they were Gentiles, they didn't have to follow all the rules and regulations they had to or what. But they were coming around behind Paul and saying they had to convert to Judaism, which meant a lot of different things. But the one thing that Paul addresses in Galatians 5 is, is they were coming along teaching that all the men had to get circumcised. So much for the good news of Jesus, right? It turned bad quick. So Paul gets word of this, and he just kind of lights into them in Galatians 5. He says in verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And we talked last week how if your experience of Christianity doesn't feel like freedom, you're doing it wrong. Right, and, and more than likely, it's because you've tried to add some of the things of the temple model back in. And it feels like bondage, because it is. And nobody likes bondage, right? Some things just don't mix. Verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now remember, Paul was Jewish, and he himself was circumcised, so he didn't necessarily have anything against the procedure. What he was against was what it represented in this context, right? Because the old has passed away. Jesus has created, has established a new covenant, and this represented the old. It represented the temple model. In other words, you can't mix the old covenant with the new covenant. You can't do it. Some things just don't mix. And this is what began to destroy the legacy of the church. Because if Christianity is simply an upgraded, upgraded version of the temple model, it's still bondage, right? So that's some of what we covered last week. And today what I want to do is look at a very difficult um, passage of text that really um, describes what it means um, to live out the Jesus model. Okay, so turn your uh, Bibles to Matthew 25. And while you're turning there, I want to sort of preface where we're headed. Um, so we've been, we've been talking about this command of love for some time now. And um, whenever we start to talk about, you know, the command of love, um, you know, the, the command to love each other, and we tend to do it more frequently, there's, there seems to be this tendency to sort of mentally check out and think, yeah, I've heard that before, got it, right? Uh, I've even had people in the church, 
um, get frustrated with me for teaching on love again, right? And they're like, come on, man, give us, give us the deep stuff. You're just, you're just dumbing down Christianity with this love fest, man. Come on, give us the deeper stuff. And if that describes you in even the tiniest bit, this is what I want to say to you. The Jesus model is far less complicated, but it is far more demanding. The Jesus model is far less complicated. Jesus made it so simple. Love your neighbor, or love others as I have loved you. But that is far more demanding than just obeying a bunch of rules and regulations. So in the Jesus model, you have to be able to answer this question. What does unconditional love require of me? In every interaction with every human being you come in contact with, you have to know what unconditional love requires of you. What does unconditional love require of you with the most difficult person? What does unconditional love require of you with people who treat you with contempt? What does unconditional love require of you with people who mistreat you and take advantage of you? Listen, when Jesus answered that question, it cost him his life. So please, don't fool yourself into thinking that this command of love and teaching about love is a dumbed-down version of Christianity. Loving others as Jesus loves us is as deep as it gets, folks. I mean, we can learn more theology than we'll ever use. We can have faith to move mountains. We can speak in the tongues of men and angels. We can even be a martyr for Jesus. And if we don't have love, we're what? Nothing. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. We can do all this amazing, super-Christian stuff. And if we don't have love, we're zilch. What does unconditional love require of you? It is incredibly demanding, and it is the deepest teaching you'll ever live out. Now, again, what happens in, in the temple model is that it's always about your vertical relationship with God, right? It's always like, God, are we good? You know, are, are we doing okay? I mean, have, have I read my Bible enough? Have I gone to church enough? Are, are we good? Do you, do you still love me? That's what your relationship with God looks like if you're operating in the temple model. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. And that's the way it is in every world religion. It's all about the vertical relationship trying to make sure you're right with God. But if you're a Christian, if you've really trusted that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to pay for your sin, all of it, then why in the world would you ever question if you're good with God or not? And why would you ever go back to the temple model and trying to earn your love and acceptance and right standing with him. And again, the Old Testament's based on 
the temple model. It was always about the vertical relationship with God. Even the command in Deuteronomy to love your neighbor as yourself was all about, okay, I'm gonna, if I do that, I'm, I'm, I'll be right with God, right? Um, but Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. And he credited his righteousness to you if you believe in him. And he paid the price for your sin, right? So every command of the Old Testament was met and settled by Jesus for you. You have, if you believe in Jesus, you have all the love and acceptance and right standing of God, that, from God that you will ever have. And that you will ever, ever need. And he he removed the need for you to earn love from God. He removed the need for you to earn right standing and acceptance from God. And the only thing Jesus asks of us is that we love each other like he loved us. See, I believe that one of the reasons Jesus gave us this, freely gave us this relationship with God that we don't have to earn is so that we could stop focusing all of our attention on whether we're right with God or not and start focusing our attention on each other. Now let me show you what I mean by that. Uh, Matthew 25, beginning with verse 31. Jesus is telling this story, and he says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothes? I don't remember that. When did we, I, when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. When I was still living under the temple model, I saw this passage as another list. Right? And I even started to make this, this mental checklist in my head. Okay, I've got to find someone who's thirsty and, and give him some water, right? I've got to find someone who's in prison and go visit him, right? I've got I've to do all these things, right? Um, but is that what's going on in the story? No. None of these people stood before Jesus with their checklist, right? None of them went like, see, Jesus, look, I gave this guy water on this day, and I went to visit this guy in prison, and this guy was sick, and I you know, visited him. 
No, that's not what's happening. Right? They were clueless when Jesus was talking about all the things they had done for him. They didn't have any clue. They're like, when? When did we do that for you? So how could they have possibly been clueless about what they were doing if it weren't for the fact that this was actually the fruit of who they were? I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about here. In other words, the natural fruit of being a sheep, the natural fruit of being a child of God is simply that you love others with the same love that Jesus loved us with. See, what we have to understand more than anything else is that your love for God is demonstrated by your love for people. And this is taught all throughout the New Testament. Right? When Jesus said, uh, and Jesus said in, in the gospel, he said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Right? And what did Jesus com- com- what command did Jesus leave his followers with? Love each other. It's not a trick question. Love each other as I have loved you, right? But when he said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command, what comes first? See, in the temple model, obey comes first so I can earn God's love, right? But in the Jesus model, he's already given us all the love that we could ever, he's lavished all his love on us. And and out of our love for him, we just go love others. We can't earn any more love from him, guys. We can't. In the Jesus model, love comes first. In the temple model, obedience comes first to try to earn God's love. And we've, we've operated from that for too long. It's like putting the cart before the horse or putting the truck before the trailer. Like I pulled the trailer here this morning to, with all our equipment. How successful would I have been if I decided you know what, I think I'm going to push the trailer with my truck. It would have been disastrous, right? And it's just as disastrous when we try to reverse it, when we try to operate in the temple model, in the Jesus model. Another beautiful example of this is when Peter met, or Jesus met Peter on the seashore after he'd risen from the dead and, and cooked him breakfast. You guys remember that story? Three days prior, what did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times, right? Complete denial. He was a total chicken. He would not own up to the fact that he knew Jesus. He, he denied him. And after denying Jesus, Jesus three times, do you think Peter struggled with his relationship with God? You know he did. You know he was in misery those three days, right? But what did Jesus do? Did he show up and just chew him out for his cowardice? No, he restored him, right? Three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And gave him an opportunity to affirm his love for each time he denied him, right? But there's a lot more going on in the story than just that. Because what was Jesus' response every time Peter affirmed his love for Jesus? Remember the story? He said, feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Go feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? 
go feed my sheep. And then in 1 John, John's first letter to the church, he, he spends a lot of time addressing this whole issue that, that your love for God is demonstrated through your love for people. And, and nowhere does he say this better than in chapter 3. He says in verse 17, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can the love of God even be in that person? Right? He totally questions the fact that they're a Christian because there's no fruit. Right? Verse 18, Dear children, let us not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we'll be confident when we stand before God. When he separates the sheep from the goats. Your love for God is demonstrated by your love for people. But again, even saying it that way, I know that there's some of you who, who hear that statement and think, Okay, God, I'm going to demonstrate my love for you by loving this difficult person. And again, we find ourselves back in the temple model because we're like, are we good, God? I'm loving this guy. Are we good? So maybe a better way to say it would be this way. Loving people is the natural fruit of your love for God. Look at verse 19 again says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. Our actions are the fruit. It's the evidence that we belong to the truth. Right? Loving people is the natural fruit of your love for God. But the only way that that can happen, the only way that can be happen is to be set free from the temple model. Right? Because as long as you're in bondage to the temple model... What is your focus? It's all this, all the time. And you're ignoring everyone else around you. If you're in bondage to the temple model, you can't love people because you're too focused on this. You can't love like he loved us. So stop focusing your attention on making sure you're in right standing with God. You are. You can't make it any better than what Jesus did for you, right? You can't do any better than that. Stop focusing all your attention on making sure you're in good standing with God and let the overwhelming love of God that was freely lavished on you naturally flow through you to other people. Now, I recognize that many of you have spent the majority of your life focusing on your relationship with God in the temple model. And so switching your focus to, natural, to the natural outpouring of love to others isn't going to be quite as easy as that point just made it sound, right? Um, St. Saint, Saint Francis of Assisi once said, You learn to speak by speaking, study by studying, to run by running, to work by working, and just so you, you learn to love by loving. All those who think to learn in any, any other way deceive themselves. Do you think that's true? 
Yeah, I think it's true. And I think 1 John, John 3.18 confirms it, right? Because in verse 18, he said, Dear children, let us not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. See, it's like a two-sided coin, right? On one side of the coin, it's, it's love for others is fruit, is, is the natural fruit of, of your relationship with God, right? But on the other side of the coin, it's, it's love for other. You know, if we say we love, we have to demonstrate it, right? The point is, the motive here can't be to earn God's favor, right? When he says, dear children, let's not merely say we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. Again, it can't be with the motive of trying to earn anything from God. You have everything from God. But I definitely think there is some truth to learning by doing, right? Which in this case means um, it comes before, it means um, it becomes a natural outflow um, when it becomes a step of faith first. Does that make sense? It's kind of like when you know you're supposed to forgive someone and you don't have it in you at all, you don't feel like forgiving them, you feel like punching them in the face, and you make the decision by faith, I forgive that person. Even though I don't feel like forgiving that person, even though I'm still mad at you, I choose to forgive you. It's a step of faith, right? So I want to just make this as really as practical as possible. I'm going to give you three things you can start doing right now to learn how to love by demonstrating love. And this is for those of us who have been so ingrained in the temple model, we've got to start practicing it before it becomes a natural outflow. All right? Um, and the first one is this. Find value in every person. You have to believe that every single person on the planet has intrinsic value. Why? Because they were made in the image of God, just like you. Their perspective might be different from yours. Their beliefs might be different from yours. Their lifestyle might be completely different from yours. But Jesus loved them enough to give his life for them. And I don't know what it is about us as Christians, historically, but there's something on the inside of us that gets so fixated on what it is they believe or what it is they, they think or what it is they do that we find offensive, and then that's all we can see. And we do that to such a degree, historically we have done that to such a degree that all we become known for is what we're against. And that doesn't leave behind a good legacy. And that's not glorifying God in the church. And honestly, you'll be completely surprised how easy it is to find value in another person and to love them when you take the time to invest long enough just to hear their story. If you really get into someone's life and ask them, how it is they got to be where they're at, or why it is they believe what they believe, or you know, why, it is, you know, why do they live the way they do. When you really take the time to hear a person's story, it's not very difficult to fall in love with them. We've seen it over and over again um, in pub theology. 
And I, I just have to take a minute and kind of brag on, on some of our guys who are regular attenders to pub theology, like, like Kevin and Wade, he's not here, um, Sean and, and Riken. When we started pub theology, man, it was ugly sometimes. I mean, there would be some <laughs> sharp disagreements. Um, there were a few cuss words that flew. I mean, just angry. Because Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but these guys, because they've stuck with it, I have seen them grow so much in their love for people. I mean, just the fact that I'm just watching them listen and understand and, and to a different level than they ever had. They're, they're actually loving people who are totally different from them, who live totally different lifestyles, who, who believe complete opposite that they do. And it's been amazing to watch that transformation. And, and if, if pub theology is for nothing else than for us to have a place to practice this, then it's a complete success, right? So the first thing is we've got to find value in every person. Uh, the second, place their needs and desires ahead of your own. This means that we have got to set aside our needs and desires in honor of theirs first, right? But more than that, more than setting aside your own needs and desires, and this is the toughest part, you have got to set aside every bit of your sense of entitlement. And you've got to set aside every bit of your rights. And I know that we live in a culture that's all about fighting for our rights. And for you younger people, your generation is probably the most entitled generation that's ever lived. So you've got more to overcome. But do you realize that it is impossible to unconditionally, sacrificially love another person and fight for your rights at the same time? Can't do it. It is absolutely impossible to fight for your rights and unconditionally love another person at the same time. It's impossible because fighting for your rights means putting your needs and desires ahead of everybody else. And that's why Paul said this to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God. That means he gave up his entitlement. He gave up his rights. He gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. And what was the first line of that passage? You must think and act like him. So place their needs and desires ahead of your own. And then thirdly, invite people into friendship without strings attached. Historically, the church has not done a very good job of this. Um, what I have seen um, in the past is that people in the church sense their need to you know, share the gospel, uh, and so they'll become friends with someone, but it's only long enough to get them to say the prayer, right? And then they're like, score, touchdown, mark one for mother's soul for Jesus. 
You know, they're just all, it's all about, sorry. But that's it. And then we kind of retreat into our little holy huddles, right? But then how does that make the other person feel when they finally realize that you didn't want to be their friend just to be their friend? You had an agenda. You were trying to get the conversion for Jesus. Yes, we have to be bold to share the gospel. Absolutely. But not with ulterior motives. It has to be out of that outflow of unconditional, sacrificial love. And Jesus never told us to make converse, did he? He said, go make what? Disciples. That requires a long-term investment. And I know that some of you really resist the idea of becoming friends with people who are very far from God just because they're so different from you and, you know, it's just really difficult. But I believe that we can be true to our convictions while simultaneously loving, listening, and serving others whose beliefs and values don't agree with our own. That we can make friendships with those who are far from God, not in spite of our convictions, but because of our convictions. And I think we live in a very unique time as believers. And I'm okay to admit that there are some liberties and some freedom of speech things that are at risk in this time. And I don't take it as far as some Christians do. I don't think the sky is falling and the world's coming to an end, but I, I do think that we're in a very unique time in the history of the church. And as Christians who want to glorify God, I think we need to step back and ask, what is our first response going to be? What is our first response going to be when we feel like our liberties and our rights and our freedom of speech things are at risk? Perhaps our first focus shouldn't be defending our own rights, but repairing relational damage that's been caused by past Christians whose lives, attitudes, and words looked and sounded nothing like the Jesus they proclaimed to follow. So let me close with just two challenging questions. What matters more to us? That we successfully put others in their place or that we're known to love well? We all have to wrestle with this question individually. I can tell you as, as your pastor where I would like to see us go and I would much rather for us to be known for loving well than for being a group of people that's known for, for effectively putting people in their place. Right? What difference does that make? What heart does that change when we do that? What hearts get changed and transformed by putting people in their place? And then what matters more to us 
that we win wars with our culture or that we win hearts with humility, truth, and love? What do we want to be remembered for? And do we really think winning wars with our culture actually glorifies God? Jesus never said, all men will know you're my disciples if you stand up for your rights. He said, all men will know know you're my disciples if you love one another. And I think the Apostle Paul summed it up well in Galatians uh, 5 that we looked at last week when he said this, the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And what did, who do we have faith in? Jesus. And what did Jesus tell us to do? Love. So the only thing that counts is faith in Jesus expressing itself in love toward others. That's the bottom line, folks. If we can master that, We will hear hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. But it's not because we've done it to try and impress God or earn his favor or earn his love. It has to be that we receive every bit of love and acceptance and right standing with God that he wants to give us. And then we go and give it freely to everyone else. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for freedom. The freedom that Galatians 5 talks about. It is for freedom that you have set us free. I thank you, God, that we have been set free from religion, from the temple model, even even that we live in this time that we live in the new covenant rather than the old. How blessed are we that we get to be one of your people who has the Holy Spirit living inside us. And we don't have to to follow all these rules and regulations to earn right standing with you and and always worry if we're good with you. But God, because we live in this time, because we live in the Jesus model, in the new covenant, to do what Jesus has asked us to do is far more demanding than just completing our checklist. So I pray, God, for all of us here that you would just break us. That you would break us and set us free from the temple model that we so habitually seem to find ourselves returning back to. Help us to completely resolve in our hearts and our mind and our spirit that by believing and trusting in Jesus, we have everything. We have it all. We have all the right standing with God. We have all his love and we have all his acceptance. And because of this overwhelming, lavish 
outpouring of love on us that our natural response is just to share it with other people. God, let that be us. Help us to not be like the Galatians and return back to the temple model. Help us to operate in the Jesus model that you put us in. For those of us, God, who have been stuck in the temple model for so long, change us, make us, mold us, help us to start demonstrating love so that it becomes just naturally who we are.